Welcome to episode four of In Beta, where we ask the big questions about human rights in the digital environment. I'm Charles Bradley, GPD's Executive Director, and today we're going to be asking the question, are we missing the bigger picture behind network disruptions? First, for those who don't know, a network disruption, or an internet shutdown as it's more commonly known, refers to a deliberate limitation or disruption of the internet, social media, or other electronic communications, usually by states or state-sponsored actors. That might mean a government shutting down WhatsApp for a day during an election, or it might mean a complete digital blackout in a region for several months, as happened recently in Cameroon. In the last few years, these disruptions have become more common. AccessNow recorded 15 in 2015 and 56 in 2016. And these actions have galvanised public outrage in a way other issues relating to the internet aren't always able to. Perhaps it's because they're such a crude, extreme form of repression, something which literally takes away your means of communication and your ability to speak. Whatever the reason, it has struck a chord. We've seen huge international campaigns by civil society and high-profile condemnations from, among others, the UN Special Rapporteur for Freedom of Expression, David Kay, the Freedom Online Coalition, and the Global Network Initiative. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that network disruptions are already becoming a taboo. It's conceivable that they may, at some point in the near future, become politically impossible. If and when this day comes, it'll be a huge victory for human rights defenders. But what happens then? Does online repression just disappear? There's a bigger picture here that we need to consider. How were these disruptions ever possible in the first place? Where do they come from? And what do they tell us, if anything, about the future of human rights in the digital environment? Luckily, I'm in the perfect place to ask these questions. In Lagos, Nigeria, on the margins of the Internet Freedom Forum hosted by Paradigm Initiative. And to discuss all this with me, I'm delighted to welcome Deji Olokotun from Access Now, Julie Owano from Internet Sans Frontières, and Arthur Gwagwa from Strathmore University and the Open Technology Fund. So first of all, I'd like to come to Deji. Tell me what you make of network disruptions. Are they really such a new thing? In fact, Access Now was founded um, under a disruption of the internet in 2009 when the Green Revolution was happening in Iran. Uh, that gave rise to our organization and uh, soon thereafter to our uh, 24-hour digital security helpline. We've seen internet shutdowns um, all around the world. It is uh, neither an Asian problem, nor an African problem, nor a European problem, nor a Latin American problem, but it's impacted each of those continents in a different way. Um, We began tracking systematically in 2015, and we recorded um, less than 20 Um, And last year we recorded 56. We think that was an absolute minimum number. And in fact, uh, there are many more disruptions that happen uh, almost every day. And uh, we're unable to record them because uh, there is no single detection system. No company has it. No government has it. uh, No newspaper has it. No civil society group has it. But we do suspect that the numbers are far higher. Um, Fantastic. Now, I'm coming to Julie, sort of... Why do you think they're happening now? As, as you mentioned, sort of, there's been a trend of them in, increasing. Sort of, what are the broader sort of structural factors behind, mm-hmm. behind network disruptions? Well, I think, ironically, I would say that internet shutdowns became more and more popular as, a good news is, um, as the good news on internet penetration arising globally on, on, on the earth. I, I, w- I say good news because uh, 
despite the fact that still many people, billions of people still don't have access to internet, an increasing number of populations do have access to the internet. And we also see that, as the, Deji mentioned, that this tool is not used only uh, for entertainment. Many populations use internet to voice uh, discontent, to organize demonstrations. Uh, for instance, in, in Romania recently, millions of citizens were pouring in the streets to protest against the government, and many of them used the, the ICT tools that were available to meet to meet up and to uh, to organize a protest. So, uh, and we can give so many examples. We remember Egypt in 2011. And, and, it's, it's, and it's been increasing, increasingly the case in, in countries and zones of the world where internet had not penetrated that much, but where it beca it's becoming really a normal, I would say a normal and basic tool for, for many citizens. So that's probably the, why the, the, the internet shutdown phenomenon and uh, the, the international internet penetration rate, which is rising increasingly globally, uh, have been closely interlinked very recently. Fantastic. It's interesting to see that the, the positives of the internet, the things that we've been uh, fighting for, also have the flip side. I think that we often often forget that uh, when, we're, when we're pushing for greater access. Um, Arthur, your, your work has been focused mostly on these issues on, on the continent. Um, why do you think network disruptions have gained uh, the most traction with African countries and with African governments? Um, I think internet shutdowns have gained traction uh, because of the global nature of the internet. Because a number of African countries, you know, these are emerging markets in terms of you know, technologies. So, so they've been adopting technology, internet technology, in the past you know, 15 years. But in, in terms of penetration, it has been increasing over the past five years or so. So the global nature of the internet has changed uh, uh, African societies or governments at two levels. Level one, there's you know, civic engagement in the cyberspace, where people talk without government interference. The governments are afraid of that. They don't want to see people talking, chatting, being happy, pursuing happiness without uh, their involvement, because usually they are benevolent dictators who want to be seen to be doing something. So when society begins to be organic, uh, interacting without government interference, it sends uh, shivers in the spines of the government. But secondly, uh, the global nature of the internet has also brought about another fourth layer of diplomacy where I can talk to the U.S. government, I can talk to Britain, I can talk to the French government. That Governments are afraid of that, African government. They don't want to see you know, citizens engaging globally. So s power in the cyberspace is translated to real power because citizens can do anything, anytime. Look at the Arab Spring. Because the Arab Spring, uh, although it wasn't a Twitter revolution, but in a cyberspace or internet played a, a very significant role. So now with rapid information sharing, you realize that uh, the Arab Spring videos were being watched in Zimbabwe, in Kenya, and different parts of the, of the continent. So, so that uh, has made you know, the government to say, well, internet has got power, so we need to start exercising political power in the cyberspace. But uh, they, some of the countries you know, started um, 
bugging telephone wires, you know, cables and all that. So int uh, internet shutdown is simply an extension of what they've been doing already in, in terms of, you know, uh, wiretapping. Uh, but the other thing, there's also been norm sharing, norms and practice sharing at the regional norms and security standard sharing bodies. Because, you know, mind you, uh, there are these security meetings that, you know, the ministers hold. So they share notes to say, I think, what is working in your country? So th that is also uh, led to what I call authoritarian solidarity. Um, but finally, finally, internet shutdown is cheaper for government. It's more convenient because they just, just shut it down. Whereas blocking pages, filtering and th throttling pages is a much more complicated process. That's what I think. Deji, yeah, please. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to speak to some of the harms that um, Arthur and Julia were talking about, that internet shutdowns really impact people's lives on a basic level. Um, they're unable to communicate with loved ones um, during emergencies. Um, they can't uh, go to the hospital, contact a doctor. That can affect even childbirth, as we've seen in countries like Pakistan and Gambia, where children, uh, babies have been lost. Um, because they were, uh, the mothers were unable to reach their doctors. And then we've seen some important studies on uh, the economic impacts uh, from Deloitte, uh, Global Network Initiative, and, and the Brookings Institution, which have found that the Brookings Report found about $2.4 billion have been drained from the global economy. Uh, Deloitte provided much more specific and narrow methodology. Um, they're a great first step and contribution to our understanding of shutdowns. We have a lot more to learn. There's been some good observations that in uh, the countries with informal economies, the studies, the methodology doesn't really apply. So we could see in Asia or Africa or other places that uh, that could make a difference to improve those studies and get more information about uh, the economic impacts. And then I just wanted to talk briefly about how we're pushing back. Um, Civil society is not just sitting back and, and letting this happen. Uh, there's a coalition called Keep It On, um, which Access Now convenes, and that has uh, over about 120 members from 52 countries, and individual members have taken leadership roles in their regions by pushing back, like Internet Without Borders, um, and like Paradigm Initiative Nigeria, Internet Freedom Foundation in India, Bites for All Pakistan, they've all uh, played a convening role to try to push back against the phenomenon of shutdowns. We've had some major victories um, at the UN uh, by getting the Human Rights Council to speak out. The GSM Association has issued uh, guidelines and restrictions. Um, the Freedom Online Coalition, which is a collection of 30 governments, spoke out uh, with a very strong statement, including guidelines for governments and telecommunications companies. So we've had some great victories. Um, but the harm is still occurring and people's lives are still being affected. I think what was interesting um, in both those points is sort of the, the, the trend in terms of, sort of the copycatting uh, approach um, uh, on the African continent of um, copying what other people, what other governments are doing uh, to restrict uh, access to content and, and, and the internet um, and the, the sharpening and more, you know, the, the quality of the, the advocacy and the data and the, and the research that we're using uh, to, to advocate for that. So, Suppose we we advocate so successfully that the copycatting becomes copycatting of good practice, and 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 we we actually end up um, ending network disruptions. What what happens then? Well, I think it will be a very good time to 
focus again on what really matters, that is to say, how to build an internet and a web which is open and free for every population of the earth, whether you're in the northern hemisphere or whether you're in the southern hemisphere. So having a majority of people profiting from a tool that has allowed populations elsewhere to empower themselves, to create value, to create knowledge, to share knowledge, have the same uh, advantages being also uh, harnessed by populations of the global south, which is the next frontier to be connected, as we all know. So uh, having this internet shutdown issue, focusing a lot of uh, efforts, unfortunately, prevents, unfortunately, uh, many of us from putting all these efforts and this energy in something which is more uh, profitable for, 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 for societies affected and, and, and globally for, 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 for the world and for, for the internet itself. That is to say, having an open and free space where information circulates, where knowledge circulates, where people can cooperate, where people can co-create their interesting things. So obviously, when internet shutdowns will be behind us, hopefully we'll be able to focus on that, which is way more exciting, I would say. Yes, that's my opinion. Uh, well, I think in addition to what Julia said, um, that assuming that you know there were no network dis disruptions, I think the focus would be on economic innovation. But does it mean that I think all of us will be out of our jobs because there won't be? Would there be no other violations relating to the internet? I'm sure there will be. They issues like you know net neutrality, uh, because whilst not the governments are. Um, shutting down the internet, we started ignoring issues to, to, to do with you know, data discrimination. You remember when Access Now um, was campaigning, uh, doing his campaign on net neutrality. One of the reasons why that debate didn't really gain so much traction in Africa was that there were more serious issues, more to do with uh, civil liberties, more to do with politics of the internet, which was uh, death and life issues. Um, but Internet shutdown is simply one dimension. You know, you know, the African governments are using to stifle um, freedom of expression online. You know, there's the issue of you know intermediary liability, where uh, we have you know strict liability, which is in line with more you know the Chinese model. I think we want to move more towards the safe harbor and then maybe uh, immunity of internet service providers. But there's also criminalization of you know speech online, um, self censorship. So there's a host of issues we could be addressing. Um, instead of you know just ad addressing the issue of internet channels, I'd like to say that in a good way the the campaign has been a victim of its own success. I think there the digital rights community was looking for a campaign to galvanize around for censorship more broadly, and shutdowns happen to be the sort of convenient uh, because it's such a gross violation of people's human rights, and we could see the harms happening. Um, I think that led to a nice touchstone for people to join the campaign and get involved. But in fact, uh, as Arthur, my colleagues have, have said here, that censorship is a very broad issue. Um, it's a spectrum, everything from blocking websites um, to blocking, shutting down the entire network. And people are impacted. I had an opportunity to speak with an activist from Colombia a couple of weeks ago, and she's pointed out, yes, and she started talking about shutdowns, and then soon I realized she was actually talking about censorship on uh, the website level, 
um, app blocking are actually specific functions of the app rather than the whole app. But she felt she was a part of the shutdown community and deserved to be a part of the keep it on discussion. So I think it highlighted a need that um, sometimes we just need uh, broader campaigns for people to look for momentum and solutions, and it doesn't matter exactly what the issue is. Uh, I'd like to agree that um, there will be more challenges um, with digital rights, and there are really smart people working on those challenges. The positive thing, uh, as Julie explained, is that I do believe the positive formulation of um, the internet shutdown of Keep It On is, is getting more people online in the first place. So groups like Alliance for Affordable Internet and other efforts are absolutely critical um, to ending uh, the, the problem with shutdowns and making sure that people enjoy the full opportunities um, of the internet. I think that's a really interesting point that you're using um, internet shutdowns, network disruptions as a as um, a call to action for people and something that people can really understand in very brutal sort of crude terms of what that what that means. And the global community, um, you know, governments from the West specifically have really, really um, coalesced around this term and pushed that. And and and, and you've said uh, Freedom Online Coalition and, and other <coughs> other other government um, bodies and, and and governments themselves have have, have come out against uh, against network disruptions because they don't do it. And I think that we we have a risk here of um, sort of playing a good sort of game of whack a mole. Where we we stop one problem and 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 that's great in in, in the short term, but as governments become more sophisticated um, and and the technology um, the cost of technology of blocking filtering censoring um, becomes becomes cheaper, um, are we forcing governments to be, to sort of speed up that process to think about what that looks like uh, for the, in their own terms so they don't have to be the government that shuts down the internet but they can censor in a, in a more sophisticated way and if we do end network disruptions in the, in the way that we see them at the, at the moment, what, where do we? How do we continue the momentum um, and continue the partnerships with with the governments and 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 and, and corporations um, who have got behind this this very specific issue uh, to broader sort of censorship and and, and and content related issues? One thing very interesting with the the Keep It On uh, coalition work is that it has proposed a definition of internet shutdowns, which includes not only the total. Um, cut of access to internet, but also includes throttling and all those very, uh, you know, very, um, um, those practices that are not uh, directly perceived as a censorship, but that are indeed acts of censorship. And that allows a lot of space to uh, entail in the future practices that we don't even know of today. And as you mentioned, some states some democracies uh, could be tempted also to to resort to more sophisticated and more invisible forms of censorship. Uh, but what is interesting is, uh, I will refer here to a, a tweet uh, that Edward Snowden put out when he tweeted against the shutdown in Cameroon. He explained that by fighting against internet shutdowns over there, so over there at that time was Cameroon, it could be somewhere else, another hmm. place, another time, uh, we are actually fighting, preventing this to happen here. Why? Because, simply because if we force our states to take a firm stand against 
any form of internet shutdown and any form of internet censorship, it will become more difficult for us democracies, I mean in democracies, for these states which uh, allegedly listen to what their population say and which respect the, the commitments they take towards the, the, the social contract and towards citizens, it will become more difficult for them to implement them. And if they do so, they will have a parliament there uh, reminding them that, oh, you remember that day when you said Cameroon should shut down, shouldn't shut down? Uh, well, it should, it, we think it should be the same for you. And it could be parliament, it could be judges, because in some countries there are judges who actually protect liberties, which is their role. Uh, so uh, it, this to say that it's, um, it's a circle. Because you're protecting those liberties elsewhere, you're preventing them, you're preventing yourself from violating them in the near or in the in the future, in the near future or in the longest term. So uh, yes, I think uh, this this broad definition, not broad, but this definition that entails either total cut of access and uh, more uh, sophisticated forms of censorship allows more breathing space for um, in preventing these practices from becoming uh, normal in democracies uh, in the Western world. Um. In, in terms of uh, the post-shutdown uh, practices, I think we're already seeing some of the practices emerging. Um, there is what uh, Ron Dybert at Citizen Lab calls, you know, the third generation of information controls where, you know, government don't close the internet. They actually like the internet because they open and flood the internet with alternative news or propaganda. Uh, it, it has been happening in Africa, although now it's called fake news, but I think let's talk of you know Zimbabwe for example. Someone would think Zimbabwe would be shutting down the internet, but they don't. But the government is used the internet as a tool, or which is more like an extension of print media and broadcast media, where ministers, key ministers, are on Twitter uh, generating news. So news that is online that is being generated by the government ends up finding itself in the print media. Look at Zambia, for example. That's another good example. In the last elections, you know, Zambia did not interfere, did not block pages, did not filter, because what they did was, you know, to open up pages, various pages, websites where they were bombarding people with, you know, propaganda. So the future of um, uh, we are now talking of artificial intelligence, you know, using of robots, you know, botnets. So that is already happening and and i foresee that being another new battleground and then finally um was it lawrence lessing in 2006 when he was writing about the future evolution of the internet i think he said the first part of the internet was gov uh, started by innovators hackers and all that and then the second phase of the internet was controlled by commercial interests uh, then he wasn't sure that about the third but we all know that it's the government. So maybe the, our battle is how do we take the internet back from the government because they did not create it in the first place. And this is where say, Tim Berners-Lee is, where he's saying the World Wide Web that I created, I didn't want it to be used like this. So how do we create the web we want? But how do we wrestle back the internet from the government control back into the hands of hackers, innovators, and people like you and me. Thanks, Arthur. It's been a really rich and interesting conversation with plenty to think about and take away. 
Unfortunately, that's all we have time for, so I'm going to wrap it up. But first, let me thank our brilliant guests, Deji from Access Now, Arthur from the Open Technology Fund, and Julie from Internet Sans Frontières. You can find out more about some of the initiatives and campaigns we've talked about in this episode on the GPD website. Just search in beta episode four. Until next time, goodbye.